Hi, everyone, and welcome to ABC's Anesthesia on YouTube and on our podcast. And today I'm going to share some of my experiences of being on an interview panel, and hopefully that will really help people in their future preparation for applications uh, with a bit of an inside scoop into you know how it is as an interviewer. So we'll get started with that very soon. Welcome, everyone. I'm Lahiru. And I'm Kaz. And this is interview part six, I believe. Yeah. Let's get started. Hey everyone, so welcome back. So we're really lucky in this episode to have an inside scoop of um, what it's like to be on the other side of the table as an interviewer um, for the Quick Care program. So Lira, thanks for agreeing to to do this with us. I think it'll be really mm. useful. So I guess, you know, what are your kind of general reflections having been through this process very recently? Yeah, so first of all, okay, I'm not going to give any information about anyone's performance. Obviously, this is just so that anyone can anyone going for an interview can just see how it is on the other sides as an interviewer and maybe help people just re- realize a few things they may have not realized and so one of the one of, so i'm going to go through quite a few things um which is essentially you know, the, the fact that you know we'll talk about preparation you know the fact that there's so many applicants you know how to stand out um what, what to do if you don't have an answer maybe in the fact that the panel could be seem quite intimidating because there's quite a few people on the on the panel and how much does the interview count so i'll talk about those things but also talk about the fact that now a lot of interviews are done on zoom and what what this means for your technique and what you can prepare uh so yeah those those are the things that i'll go through but um yeah essentially now there's no absolute structure that every anesthetic department or any cricket department has to run through. So I think it's really important to know that this interview might be a fraction of the marks, you know, the marks for your application. You know, so maybe something will, you know, some of it will be from the CV and cover letter. Some will be from references and other, other things. And then the interview may play a small part in that or in other situations, it may play all of the marks. Maybe they started a clean slate, after reviewing and shortlisting you uh, from quite a number of applicants, and then the interview might can't count for anything. So what this means is you really have to take this interview seriously. You have to be so good at this because in this 15 to 20 minutes of an interview, your, you know, your job will be decided. And so there's, there's really no room for being an average at this interview. Kaz, I think it's, it's, I think it's pretty familiar for both of us that I think we both prepared quite a bit for my, my, mm. our interview. So I, I did, <laughs> I did uh, the interview for my cricket care job about 13 years ago. And I remember at least studying or preparing for the interview two to four weeks prior to this. And so I think, uh, you know, if you're not doing at least that amount of preparation, you're probably doing yourself a great disservice. Um, what, what do you reckon, Kaz? How much, like, how did you prepare? Yeah, look, I was very similar. So um, I guess every year as the, um, the, the acuity or the, the significance of the job went up, the time I invested went up. So um, when I interviewed for the first kind of lot of quick care jobs, um, you know, I, I think I did about a month to six weeks and and that it takes you a while to figure out what you're doing. Um, and then by the time you have the later quick care um, interviews, you've done a lot more. And I definitely noticed a significant kind of a linear or exponential rise in the quality of my interview, the more practice I did. So when it came to applying for the program, um, I, I did I did a lot more. So I, I think I spoke um, last time I did um, quite a few months, but I did it slowly. Um, and I and I think it, it depends how you want to approach it. Like a lot of people do six 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 to eight weeks, um, but but that's all really arbitrary, right? I think I think saying I interviewed for six weeks mm. versus I interviewed for ten years—that's a bit of exaggeration. But a year, it, it's it's really irrelevant because if I did one session on in January and then another session in May. I've prepared for five months, but like, that's mm. not really true. So I think it's about quality. It's about consistency and it's about 
really rounding out your experience and building these frameworks in. Um, and I think, you know, I think six weeks is probably enough for most mm-hmm. interviews. If you're, if you're happy to work hard, if you're at a generally a pretty high level, if yes. you can articulate and communicate well, if you're someone who doesn't have that naturally, and that's okay, because that's one parameter of your assessment, you need to start a bit earlier. And I think it's figuring out where you are and you might need someone else to tell you where you sit on that spectrum. No, I think that's really good advice. So essentially, let's say you start six weeks prior and that involves getting some questions, writing some answers, as well as practicing it. And then maybe, you know, as a rough guide, maybe four times a week for an hour, hour, hour in each of those sessions. And like we mentioned in the last episode, Kaz, you're mentioning about, you know, getting people to help you. There's lots of consultants, registrars, advanced trainees, basic trainees who'd be willing to help you as well as parents, friends, partners, just get used to speaking in front of lots of different people because, you know, trust me, it will, if you can speak in front of your sister, brother, family, and sound your best mate, and you, and you, you just feel like a bit of a tool, you sound a bit funny saying these answers. If you feel, you'll feel far better in the actual interview if you've already done that practice. Exactly. And, and I think that speaks to um, the different forms preparation can take. So preparation can be interview practice, which is you practice with someone, you practice speaking and you get feedback. And I think that feedback aspect is really important. And identifying mm-hmm. people that can give good, specific, relevant feedback is really important. <laughs> Secondly, you can practice in front of um, the mirror. or So I used photo booth on my Mac and I just had gigabytes of videos. So that was really good because then I could actually see how I responded, how I structured and try to see whether I could follow what I was trying to say. And also you can see your progress over time. So that I, I, I insist this, I think everyone does this to some degree, recording yourself, it's super useful. And then the other things, which I think are more the paper-based preparation, hey, Lars, so that's kind of getting the questions, thinking about the answers, finessing your examples, getting like a big, big, um, like a, like a um, document of all your experiences that you think are relevant. And, and that sort of book work is actually quite important because you want to get those ideas down in one form and then finesse them um, mm. a bit later. I found a PowerPoint slide presentation was really useful. So you have a question on one slide and then all of your examples on the other slide. And, and that way, a Word document, I found that I could see the answers, whereas a, a, you know, a slideshow, uh, I, can't, I can't, I've got to remember, I've got to memorize, I've got to be practiced to achieve that you know, adequately. Yeah, and you can yeah. even make an- an- Anki cards if you wanted to. Like, yeah, that's that's right. a great way of practicing. Um, I do it for the Vivas. Um, there's that's lots good. of different ways to do it. Yeah. Now, the other thing I want people to know, so that's the preparation and how much this interview could count towards your total. I think the other thing I want to highlight is the fact that there's so many applicants. So for, say, anywhere from four to 10 quick care jobs or maybe a few more in the anesthetic training scheme, you may have anywhere from 150 to 300 applicants. So the process is that there'll be a number of people that will shortlist, read through all the CVs and references, shortlist these applicants. And then on any given day, you'll get a number of, you know, say up to 20 people being interviewed. Now, what, what does this mean? So what, what, what it takes to organize these, you know, these interviews is that you have to coordinate a number of people. So it's very rare to have interviews on a number of different days. So, you know, essentially the group will get together, the panel will get together on one day roughly have 20 minutes per candidate. And so if you're starting at eight in the morning, you're really going, 20 is about the maximum number, maybe 22 applicants through the entire day. And so you know that you have to stand out because it's very hard to specifically rate and rank 20 people. I think it's it's one of those things, again, the interview, you've got to really stand out. You've got to be very well prepared, be quick on your feet, be rehearsed in, to a certain extent. And be able to show other things, like just be honest and vulnerable in certain aspects to to show that to show that effort. Um, 
which probably, yeah, which probably leads on to the next question. With so many applicants, how do you stand out? And I think in my experience, the people that really stood out had, you know, great frameworks for their answers. And I think we've mentioned this in previous episodes. Mm. When you're asked, especially on Zoom, you know, why, why, do you, why, why should we employ you at this hospital? Why do you want to come here? Why, why do you want to be this kind of anesthetist or doctor? Being able to highlight a list of things, say, these are the three things that I care about. These are the five things that I think I bring best. And then going to detail, I think that's a far better way of getting my attention. So I know that you're going to talk about these things. Maybe one of those was actually particularly interesting to me, and I'll ask you more about that. Instead of saying, I'm a fantastic team player, and I'm going to ramble on about this for who knows how long, uh, and then go to the next point. I'd rather you give me the list and then the detail. Hmm. Um, and, and I think that makes a really big difference, right? I think someone who's talking from A to Z, it's really hard to follow and there's no structure. It's actually a lot more work to compute what they're trying to say. And I think, especially when you're interviewing that many people, I imagine by the end of it, you want whatever's easy to con- consume and, and, you, and it's easy for you to understand that. So the less work you make it for the interview to understand what you're trying to say, the, the, the better you're going to be. Yeah, you've got to prevent these interviews from zoning out when, you, when you're about to say something particularly interesting. Let's say you give a bit of a preamble, but then you really care that they know about how much research you've done. Um, one of those things, like so let's say your interview does count uh, for everything and you, you start at a clean slate, you probably want to highlight the amazing aspects of what you, you know, what research project you've done or what initiative initiative you started for whatever charity organization or how much money you raised for someone uh, or the fact that you started teaching, you know, unfortunate, unfortunate or under-resourced areas of Melbourne. So I think these are the things you want to be able to stand out and speak to eloquently to really, to really show off yourself. And a lot of this, it doesn't come naturally. I think most people don't like to talk them up, talk themselves up and brag, but it's not bragging if you're asked genuinely a question. You've got to be really well rehearsed at just telling information and facts. It's not bragging. They've asked mm-hmm. you and you're just telling them what they want to know. Yeah. I also think that because we're constantly, if you're applying for these jobs, you're surrounded by people who are doing very similar things. So, mm-hmm. you know, y- your your frame of reference changes, right? So I think a lot of people forget that they do really impressive stuff outside of medicine. So mm. I remember I was doing interview practice with a friend of mine and I was like, oh, like, you know, tell us about yourself outside of medicine was one of the questions we practiced. And she's like, oh, well, I don't really do anything. And I'm like, yes, you do. You did this like Oxfam trail run. You did this, you have a dog, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, I just didn't think of them as interesting things because they're my life. So often you need someone else to say, tell you, yeah. tell you what you do. That's a bit different and interesting. Yeah, you're right. We all habituate to whatever exceptional stuff we do and it becomes normal. And, you know, we probably don't think what we do is that exceptional. So yeah, it, it does help to have someone else kind of tell you that that's, that's pretty cool. Exactly. Uh, hence, again, working with your colleagues, practicing answers, it really highlights that. Hmm. Um, and I, I guess another question with standing out last, so mm. um, in terms of presentation and how people speak and how they hold themselves, did you notice mm. a big difference um, in the cohort? Yeah. So I think in general, people who had good eye contact, just imagine in person, we'll go through this in my Zoom points, but actually let's go through that now. So the fact is that you're now doing most of your interviews on Zoom. And so it's very like right now, I'm, you know, if anyone watching YouTube, I'm looking at Kaz on the screen and that's not where the camera is. So Mm -hmm. on Zoom, it would be really important to have that 
you know, the picture of the interview panel close to your camera, because then you could be still looking at them, but it would look as if you know, you're addressing them directly through the camera. Yeah. But just remember, just because you're looking at their picture, that's not where they're going to see your eyes focused to. And so I think it's really important to have good eye contact and practice that because it's very difficult. You know, if you've got your own camera there or, or everything's a bit lower down on the screen, it's far easier to kind of look and glance to the side. It's hard to, people are naturally engaged with eyes and it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those evolutionary things. You want to be able to have a reasonable amount of eye contact. Uh, it's also very difficult to know the time limits on things. So it would be reasonable to say, you know, how, how long, if they haven't told you how long the interview is, it'd be reasonable to, you know, just, just address them. I assume this, I assume this interview is going on for about 20 minutes. So roughly you'll have about, you know, maybe three to five questions in the interview of about 15 to 20 minutes. So that's about four minutes per question. And, you know, just be, just be aware of that. Now, the fact is that some people didn't really understand if they were rambling on or not. And I remember one person actually saying, saying, Oh, look, I'm not sure if I'm rambling, please let me know if you want me to stop. And I thought that was a really nice way of addressing the fact that they couldn't really gauge what was going, going on in terms of our, you know, us assessing, us assessing how much they were speaking. And I really like that. So if you, if you are unsure about something, just, just say, Hey, I'm not really sure. Please stop me if you need to. I find that the listing before the detail does help that a bit because, you know, you, you've given enough information uh, to, to allow them to interrupt you uh, and the interviewers probably should do that. Hmm. Um, but definitely, I think sanding out eye contact, being able to, you know, do, you know, have great frameworks, well thought out answers, eye contact, as I mentioned, and, and just presenting the information as confidently as you can, as, as well spoken as you can, you know, in that Zoom environment is, is really important. Hmm. Um, yeah. and, and again, I think practicing in Zoom is probably a key thing to that. Oh if, you, God, if, you yeah. practice, if you practice everything in person, hmm. then practicing on Zoom is, you know, it, it's so challenging and so different. So I think uh, making that part of your preparation is doing some stuff on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like the simple stuff like camera placement, um, you know, I've changed my camera angle like three times since we started recording these today. <laughs> it looks good. Um, thanks. <laughs> and knowing where you're going to look. So, you know, making it a full page thing. Um, when I did Viva practice, I actually found not having not having me visible on the screen was really useful because my eyes kept going to it. Mm. So I actually did a thing where I just got rid of my, my, I couldn't see myself when I looked at the camera when I did Viva practice. And then I just focused on the interview and that makes for a much more organic experience when you're not constantly checking how you look, which is just instinct, I think. Yeah. So another thing that I think is interesting is that sometimes you may not have an answer and this whole ability to express vulnerability is not, is not a bad thing to genuinely say, look, I, I really, don't have an answer. I might need some time to think on that. And if you don't have an answer at the end of it, just stating the obvious and like, you know, I, I really don't have an answer for this. Um, would, would you be able to give me another question? I think that's pretty fair as well as stating things like, Oh, look, I've, I've just been off a night shift, which is pretty busy. So I really apologize if I'm a bit scattered today. Um, saying things like that is just very human. Uh, and I don't, I don't score anything like that negatively. I just feel like this person's a real person and realizing their situation and their circumstance and the, the fact that they're being honest about their particular challenges is actually quite refreshing to me. So I, I, I don't mind that. Um, yeah. I, I think it also helps frame your answer. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think we, no one's perfect. No one's always com- confident. And I think being honest and down to earth is actually a better trade than someone who can answer all the questions off the top of your head. Mm. Um, so I think that's all really reasonable. All I would caution is don't do it all the time. Yeah. So so don't negative, don't self-deprecate yourself in the hope that it will win you favors because that just doesn't look good. So don't be like, 
oh, that was a really stupid answer. I'm sorry. Like that, that doesn't look good. But I think, you know, do it if you honestly feel overwhelmed, if you feel a bit confused, ask for time to think. I, I think mm-hmm. that's always completely fine to do. And it's never as awkward mm-hmm. as you feel. Um, and interviews would much prefer that, I think, to you rambling on until you figure yeah, out what you want to say. Yeah. And, and just remember, like, because it's hard to get the visual cues, just be aware through your practice that if you are someone that does ramble on, um, to, to you know, you don't need excessive elaboration of certain points. Um, it's hard to get an understanding if the panel understands. But so, you know, I, I really enjoy working in a team. And, you know, this has been because of this, this and this reasons. I really enjoyed it. Full stop, go to the next point. You know, you, you don't have to say the same point. So that's definitely a practice skill to stop mm-hmm. rambling, um, especially when you don't have the cues to stop. Uh, that you normally would have in person. Yeah. Um, I guess the next thing is the fact that on any given panel, you may have quite a number of people. And, you know, I can imagine how intimidating that would be. Like I I know in some interviews, you know, you might have seven or eight people and now potentially even more because anyone can get into a room just with Zoom. Uh, but just know that it's it's not any reflection on, on, on you necessarily. It's just that there's a lot of people interested in hiring the best people and, and that, and that shouldn't be something to, to worry about. It, you know, you're, you're just speaking to the room, speaking to the person asking, asking the question uh, and just, just be okay with focusing on the question and not the fact that there's a number of people in the room. Hmm. I, I remember that was really confronting. I walked into my interview, there was I think six or seven people <laughs> and you just kind of stop and go, Oh, this is what it looks like when there's seven people in front of you. Um, and you also have this awkward, I mean, probably not as relevant with Zoom interviews, but I just had this mm. awkward moment where I'm like, do I shake everyone's hand? <laughs> um, right. so I, and, I, and I think in my college interview, I actually did because everyone stood up when I walked in mm. and they each introduced myself. And that just, and I, and I quite like that because I, I, I tend to, you know, uh, mm. offer handshakes to most people in a professional setting. And I think it works really well, but mm. um, in Zoom, again, it would be a bit strange having a screen full of people staring at you, but I think expect a lot. Mm-hmm. Some places only have two. Some people have three. I think if you can probably find out how many interviews are going to be on a panel. It's 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 pretty mm-hmm. consistent. I think th- through the years. So if, mm-hmm. if a certain hospital has six, it's probably going to be six. Yeah, that's good. So I mean, those those are really the main things I want to talk about in terms of experience. I think the standout things are if you prepare well. I think a lot of these things will sort themselves out. Preparing with lots of people. So really, preparation is the key to a lot of these things. I, th- mm-hmm. I think and. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think that's probably the, the major take-home take-home point. So uh, another hmm. question to kind of consider, Lars. So if someone hmm. has, um, you know, uh, this year or in future years, depending on when you're listening to this, tried for a quick care year once, hmm. twice, three times, um, or and, and has been unsuccessful, what hmm. kind of advice do you have for them? That's probably that's probably a whole other topic, really. Yeah, um, it's it is very difficult because I think, I think first of all, you need some really solid feedback about why you didn't get the position. And hopefully people are honest enough to tell you if there's absolute deal breakers in your preparation, in the, in, you know, in the way you communicate or what you've presented on your CV, if it's, if it's just not competitive enough, I think you really need to find someone who will give you honest feedback on that. Um, because otherwise it can be very tricky and you don't want to be, you know, barking up the wrong tree for, for too long in your career. Um, yeah, so I, I think uh, it's, it's it's a very it's a very difficult thing to answer. The panel, the the people interviewing you, also I think have a responsibility. And I've heard this talk just over the, the years that if someone has been applying repeatedly and and not getting on the program, you know I think there's a responsibility of the selection committee to be very frank with them and just say these are the reasons why and to address them and be um yeah be show, show initiative in speaking to that 
to that trainee as well. Mm. And I think on the other spectrum, if it's your first time having a go and you were underprepared because you underestimated it or you mm. didn't know what the bar was, I think um, you know if you're intending to apply again, I think you need to do something differently. Mm. Um, you, know, you can't have the exact same CV, the exact same references and do no extra interview practice and expect something to change the following year. Mm-hmm. You genuinely need to talk to the panel, talk to consultants, talk to mentors, identify what needs to be improved and make a considered plan to do better next time. Mm-hmm. And it's not unusual for people to get quick care jobs in their second go. Um, I think mm-hmm. beyond that, it probably um, decreases in frequency a bit. And that's when a lot of things that Hiro said, I think kind of mm-hmm. starts um, becoming relevant. But I also see this quite often. I think people keep applying every year without changing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, um, I, I think that's really not going to change the outcome until something, unless something drastically changes. So something to consider. Um, and uh, plenty of people out there can give you <laughs> feedback on what to do. I think keeping perspective in times like that as well, the fact that you're a doctor in Australia, uh, you know, you are doing very well at life. You've already won the lottery of life and you're probably one of the most fortunate people to have ever existed on this earth ever in the history of time. I think that's the first important perspective to keep. And, you know, whether your plan B as an Australian doctor is probably better than most people's plan A, or, you know, your plan D is probably better than most people's plan A. Uh, that might not help you in that circumstance where you're feeling pretty bad about not getting the job, but yeah, you know, it's, it's very difficult to say where the trajectory of your life will be and whether something is good or bad based on the initial incident, uh, it's just very hard to tell. You, you you might go on to do amazing things and be very happy with your life doing anything else. Um, and there's a lot of scope for, you know, happiness and, uh, you know, work satisfaction in many other fields as well. Mm. That's actually a good thing to keep in mind when you're really stressed leading up to an interview. So, mm. you know, when I, when I applied for the quick care jobs, one of the things I kept saying was, if I don't get on, I'm like, well, so what? That's a year. <laughs> like, like when I'm 85, am I going to care that I spent an extra year doing a resident job or an extra year doing a register job mm. before I got on the program? Not really. And I kept this in mind for the exams as well. I was like, well, if I fail, like that would suck. Mm. But at the, same, at the end of the day, like my, I have my health, my family has their health. I'm safe. I have a guaranteed income. I essentially have a guaranteed job. Mm. I'm never going to be wanting for, you know, mm. survival, shelter or love. Like, Mm. if you you can change your frame of things then you can kind of just take that emphasis off it a little bit and kind of mm. be kinder to yourself and realize yeah this is important and you should work really hard for it i completely agree but mm. at the end of the day you can take a bit of that self um you can take a bit of the ownership off your sense of self and value because there's so mm. much more in your life that is of equal or greater value um, and I think that'll just help, help you manage your stress and your mindset and be mindful in the lead up to that, which I find really helpful. No, I think that, that's a really great, great summary. I think that's probably all we have time for uh, until the next episode. That's, uh, I think that was pretty much part six of six interview tips and techniques. Um, I'll probably post after this round of applications, I'll, you know, we'll post a few live interviews. And again, if anyone wants to be on this uh, being interviewed, I think it'll be really helpful to other people, but also to yourself. So please contact us at anesthesiapodcast at gmail.com. And otherwise, yeah, thanks very much for listening and watching. Please share with anyone who might be interested. We really, you know, we really enjoy the support everyone gives us on, on this podcast and the mm-hmm. fact that, it, you know, it's helping people out there. Uh, so yeah, thanks very much and see you next time. See you then.